0: For that. My title for us this morning is simply, What is the value of truth? And I'm sure that you can identify the common theme that we have been exploring the last few weeks. What is the value of this and that and the other thing today? Specifically, our question to answer is, What is the value of truth? But honestly, I could have just as easily titled this sermon, What is the value of self respect? or perhaps as another option, what is the value of your relationship with God to you? Because as nonchalant as we might be about lying and dishonesty, God takes it seriously. And both the Bible and experience tell us that lying does little more than compromise the self-respect and the dignity of the liar. And it's true that any and all sin compromises the character and integrity of people. And all sin compromises our relationship with God. But what lying does, as a sin that is involved in relationships, is erode away trust. It affects our relationship to ourselves, if we're not being honest with ourselves, as we often are not our relationship with others as we navigate the space between reality and our dishonesty. And most importantly, it affects our relationship with God who sees in secret. Amen? The Apostle John says it clearly and concisely. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. Or in chapter 1, same book, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Church, I have a handful of things that I want to share with you today. Nothing too complicated, but let's talk about this ninth commandment this morning. Under this title of what is the value of truth? The commandment reads like this, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I have two points for you. If you're ready, say amen. First question, what is lying? In order to properly answer this question, what is lying, we must know, I think, first and foremost, what is truth? And I don't mean a general, vague idea of truth as it is the opposite of a lie, but rather the biblical definition. In other words, when we sit and read the Bible, what does it have to say to us about this idea of truth? Well, when we do that, again, in an effort to properly answer the question, what is lying, I think we learn four things. I want to share them with you now. First... When we sit at the Bible and go through it and learn what it has to say about truth, we learn, first of all, that God is truthful. First of all, God is truthful. The Bible has a lot to say about lying, as we're going to see. But in regards to truthfulness, it also has a lot to say. And it begins with this, God is truthful. Let me say that again. God is truthful. I'm going to share with you a number of verses. For example, Numbers 23 verse 19. It says, "God is not man that he should lie." Then another verse, Titus chapter 1 verse 2. In Titus chapter 1 verse 2, it says that God, quote, never lies. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says, and I quote, it is impossible for God to lie. You see, this is where we begin. And we all like to enforce laws, rules, and regulations on our friends, our co-workers, our children. Of course, we give ourselves some slack in these departments, but that's another conversation for another time. We like to impress this commandment: don't lie because we don't want anyone being dishonest to us, but the reality is, first and foremost, that we should know God is truthful. In Proverbs 6, 18 and 19, it says that there are seven things that are an abomination to the Lord, and one of them is a lying tongue. And this is to say nothing about verses like Malachi 3.6, Or James 1.17, which teach us that God does not change. Now, I hope that you can draw a line from that point to the other. The reason God is not dishonest is because God does not change. His character is impervious to those things that make us shift and change and adjust and be dishonest. God is perfect. God is the three-time holy God. God is the God who is transcendent, high and lifted up. He is the God who our Lord taught us to pray to like this. Our Father who is in heaven. He's unmatched. No one is to his right or left. He alone is God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But he's not some figment of our imagination who decides one day one thing and changes his mind the next. He cannot lie because his character is perfect now second as we might surmise god's word is truthful and this seems like a logical connection to make if god himself is truthful and cannot lie then his word should also be truthful and free of any lies in theology we call this the necessity of inerrancy inerrancy is the biblical and theological doctrine that says, when God spoke by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and prophets, the documents did not contain errors. Now, this doesn't cover Zondervan or Crossway or Word Publishers. Fortunately, God in his providence has protected the manuscripts over the thousands of years of transmission so that today we can sit down and read the Bible and know that we have the word of God. I don't know anyone who got a call from Zondervan to say, I'm going to need you to send your Bible back. We need to repossess it and give you a new edition. Now, they fiddle with some wording here or there to help clarify, but the reality of the matter is, is next to Plato, next to uh, Aristotle, next to Homer's Iliad, everything pales in comparison next to the Bible. We have documents upon documents upon documents to compare and contrast the validity of this document And we can know for certain that when we read it, we have the Word of God. And when we study the Word of God, we realize that it is inerrant. In all that it asserts, it is truthful and it is honest. And why wouldn't it be, church, God cannot lie? We sit together and study this book a few times a week. Some of us more than a few times a week. Not because we hope that one day it would give us some sort of reliable guidance. But on the contrary, but because we know our reliable guidance is provided for us in his word. A beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed is found in John chapter 17. It is called the High Priestly Prayer. It is the last recorded prayer at length that we have of Jesus before his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And there, in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, we see verse 17, in which Jesus prays for his disciples these words. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Church, may we find no controversy with the words of Jesus. (laughs) If ever there is a doubt in your mind, rest assuredly in the words of Jesus. If we have a question about anything, let us find our peace in our Lord. He says to the Father, your word is truth. Sanctify them. That is to say, make them clean, make them pure, make them holy. Not through self-help books, not through programs, but through your word, because your word is truth. Let me camp just for a quick moment and speak to a few of you, whoever you might be that needs to hear this and say this unreservedly. Stop neglecting the word of God. Some of you need to turn off the television, put down the phone, and open this book. You don't know where you're going because you have hushed the voice of God in your life by keeping the covers of this book closed. Stop arguing with everybody who's around you. I love what Romans chapter three, verse 20 says. It says, the things that the law says, it says that every mouth may be stopped and everyone stand in a point of accountability before God. You know what that's saying in the vernacular? Shut up! Sit at the word and shut up! You're not that bright. You're not that intelligent. In fact, when the Word of God talks about wisdom and understanding, it says that it begins with the fear of the Lord. You want to be smart? Respect your God. Love your God. Honor your God. That's where you're intelligent. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you don't fear the Lord, you're stupid. You're ignorant. You're foolish. His Word is truth. I don't care what your angle is on this. I don't care what your latest podcast says. All I care about is this. Are you sitting at the word of God, open and vulnerable, willing to receive and hear because, say amen if you're listening, what God says is true. Be quiet. Turn everything off and sit still. Read the word, meditate on the word, and you will be amazed at the revolution that happens in your life as a result of sitting at God's truth. Third, again, perhaps another reasonable deduction for us to make in view of the fact that God is truthful and His Word is truth Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. truth. We aren't faced with a dilemma when we consider Jesus. Just as we see it emphatically and clearly when it comes to God and his word, so we see it emphatically and clearly with our Savior, Jesus. He doesn't outsource his job. He doesn't lead us in the vicinity of truth. He doesn't recommend a religious leader or guru. He says, I am the way. The truth in the life. He doesn't say this with any sort of doubt or uncertainty. He says it emphatically. I am the truth. You want to know what God has to say? Look at Jesus. You want to know if God is going to be honest with you about your life? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God has to say about this or that or the other thing? Look at whom? Look at Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything that we need, anything that we might be curious about, can be resolved and reach the culmination of all that we must know. And he who has been called the Lamb of God. And finally, and as a consequence of the previous four points, God expects us to be truthful. God expects us to be truthful. If God is truthful, if his word is truth, if his son is truth, then it only follows by way of deduction, conclusion, resolution, that God does not expect us to lie. To be truthful, just as he and his word and his son are truthful. Church, this is what it means to be the people of God. Let me say that again. God's people don't lie. Lying is a great dishonor to God. And not only is lying a great dishonor to God, But when we lie, we demonstrate the immaturity that exists in our mind and in our heart. So no longer should we remotely be close to the words of Pontius Pilate when he casually and flippantly asked Jesus, what is truth? If anyone would know truth, it should be you and me. If anyone should grab truth with two hands and refuse to let it go, it should be you and me. And, and, and we shouldn't only know it. We should love it. We should celebrate it. We should lift it up in the sight of all people. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 say this, If you abide in my truth, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is part of the theme in the gospel. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth because you will be my disciples. And knowing the truth, you will be set free. When we look around the world and we see all of the various groups that are building around ideologies and social constructs to say, I am an anarchist. I throw off all forms of restriction, and litigation, and law, only to fail to realize that there is one law they will never be free from, and one law that every man, woman, and child will give an account for. The only people who are indeed free are those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ have been set free. And what Jesus says in John chapter 8, as he continues this very important talk is, and those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. There is no question. There is no curiosity. If you are in Christ, you are free. Now, before I lead us to our next point, let me ask you this, church. Are you living like someone who's free? Or are you living like someone who is bound and chained by the elementary principles of this world, living as if the approval of everyone around you trumps the approval of your Father in heaven? Church, we have a moral and spiritual obligation to God to be truthful. No more should we dabble in white lies and dishonesty. As we, try to, as we try to impress people, cover our sins or exaggerate for our own sake and popularity. And since that is the case, let's ask this question. What is the antidote to lying? This is our second point this morning. What is the antidote to lying? What is the antidote to lying? Before we get to that, I want to recover a couple of points just so that we have the same predication to stand upon. First, we should be truthful because God is honest. Amen? This is the first and foremost measurement of our honesty. We should be honest because God is honest. We should be truthful because God is truthful. One commentator writes this, and I quote, a God of faithfulness who did not deal deceitfully with his people, required of his people the same transparency and honesty and personal relationships. I don't know if you've been in the United States of America very long, but do you see what's happening in our political arena? Lies. Lies. The lies are divided by an aisle. But everyone on both sides of the aisle is a liar. Because they want your vote, but they don't care about you. They're only using you as a pawn. We elect them into an office and we pay their salary, but they answer to us nil. We have built a system, or allowed to be built, a system that is based on dishonesty. If you elect me, I will. If you elect me, I won't. Now, politics are politics are politics. By definition, a politician is someone who tells you what you want to hear so that he can get the job or she can get the job. But we've lost our way in our country. We've lost our way in our society. Now, dishonesty is a sort of virtue. How well can you lie? How well can you be believed in your dishonesty? That's what politics have become. In view of that, and in view of the fact that God has been honest with us and therefore expects honesty, how great should be the gap between them and us. You hear what I'm saying? Now, this is a challenging issue for us because there are people who do good things on this side and people who do good things on that side. There are people who do bad things on this side and people who do bad things on the other side, but the reality of the matter is, is we must be honest. We might have a political bent one way or another, as I personally believe that we ought to, regardless of the clown that's in the office, and they're all clowns. When you measure men up against King Jesus, they're all clowns. But when we sit at the Word of God and put feet to our faith and live the commandments of the Lord in our personal lives, everyone should see in us, our minds, our hearts, our convictions, a significant difference between what they see in the world. And we should not be those Christians who look like they're trying to ride a fence. You don't need to ride a fence. Riding fences is incredibly uncomfortable. Not a foot in each world. We are in it, but we are not of it. We are to be salt and light. And so second, we should be truthful because God's word is truthful. If God's word is circulating through our hearts and minds, friends, then the words and intentions that flow from those hearts and minds should be on a trajectory of truthfulness. How can we say that we love his word, we're reading his word, and we're meditating on his word when we're dishonest? Psalm 119, verse 160. Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. I've never been very good at math. But I know what a sum is. When you take God's word, the answer is truth. The total is truth. Friends, this verse should not be undervalued. And if you're ignoring it, you are undervaluing the Word of God. The sum of His Word is truth. So it should not surprise us that those who have His Word resonating and circulating in their hearts and minds are honest and truthful people. Third, we should be truthful because Jesus is truth. And as His disciples, we should be walking in His footsteps. That's what discipleship means. The student steps in the footprints of the master. We will never be as great as he is. Amen? We will always live in his shadow. And praise be to God for that. But we can be like him. We will never be equal with him, but we can be like him. And one way in which we can accomplish this likeness is truthfulness. Church, the reality of the matter is dishonesty hurts the fabric of our relationships. In society, dishonesty hurts the fabric of the legal system as it suffers from dishonest and deceitful people. In our marriages, as husbands and wives refuse to be faithful and transparent to each other. In our friendships... When people act two-faced in our workplace, when people who are perfectly capable of working and keeping a job refuse to do so, dishonesty even affects us as our constant dishonest talk warps our definition of what reality is. We all know people who have said the lie so long that they think it's true. We expect people to believe our lies, especially when they don't know any better. But the greater tragedy is when we have said the lie so long that we ourselves believe it. The truth is, whether it is to one degree or another, we are all dishonest. Let's strive, church, to be truth-loving, truth-telling, Christian people. Amen? But how can we combat this? How can we, in view of this truth, be truthful? I want to share a handful of suggestions with you. First, we can develop a love for the truth. We can develop a love for the truth. Honesty is a virtue in God's eyes. Even an expectation It reflects his character. It reflects his integrity. So honor him by developing a love for the truth. Here are some ways to accomplish this be careful what you watch. Be careful what you watch. Secondly, be careful what you listen to. Thirdly, be careful what you read. Fourthly, be careful what you discuss or entertain. I want to camp here for just a moment. And the re- I want to say this. The reason I'm making these suggestions to you is because what goes into your mind and your heart create who you are. It can poison you. While we should be sitting at God's word, and of course, I'm not against watching movies or shows or I mean, we're watching Downton Abbey for the 10th time. I'm, I'm, not against, I'm not against watching shows or, or listening to podcasts. I love podcasts. I'm not against reading books that aren't Christian. I'm not saying that you should not do any of those things. What I'm saying is they should come secondarily, down the line. Your priority should always and forever be God's word. And then as you watch something, read something, listen to something, you're doing it with discernment. A word that doesn't get enough attention today. Discernment. There are sex scenes. There are expletives. There are plots. There are ungodly influences that you allow to entertain you, and you need to stop. It affects you negatively. And as a result of it affecting you negatively, your value of truth decreases. Push all that stuff aside and start loving the truth. Start loving the truth. Heed the command that the Apostle Paul gives in Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self and those practices. The old self. Did you get that? That means before Christ, that person who you used to be, leave that guy outside. Don't live in christ the way you used to live outside of christ this is not that complicated church don't cuss like you used to cuss don't disrespect people like you used to disrespect people don't watch the same old movies that you used to watch don't read the same old garbage by the way the pornography issue is not just visual it is literary as well otherwise 50 shades of gray would not have sold 80 million copies So let's not lie to each other and say this is a male pandemic. Don't put on the old self. Put on the new self. And when the old self comes knocking, tell them to go someplace else. You're committed to the truth now. If you find yourself struggling in this arena, you have to assess What is it that you love more than the truth? Second, value honesty over dishonesty. Sometimes people lie because they're more afraid of someone's reaction to the truth than they are God's view of them for lying. Let me say that again. Sometimes people lie because they are more afraid of someone's view of the truth than they are of God's view of them lying. You need to pray about that. It doesn't matter what people think of us. We need to be truthful. What matters is what God thinks of us if we lie that has to be the priority of our conviction. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25. Proverbs 29 25 says the fear of the man lays a trap for the soul. You don't need to live in fear of man. You can respect people and still live loudly because it should matter more to you what God thinks of you than anyone else. Now we live in a pretty Dense culture with social media when we post a thought and people attack us online in comments. Sometimes we don't say what we believe we ought to say. Sometimes we don't defend the truth of God in the view of anti-Christ comments or ideas. And we feel like we should apologetically stand up for the truth of God. And we fail to do it because we're more scared of what someone might say to us than we are of God. Some of us need to learn to put the armor of God on and start swinging this sword around. Start defending the truth of God. The ninth commandment is telling us that dishonesty isn't acceptable to God because God is honest and God is truthful. God is, God's word is truthful and God's son is truthful. Proverbs 12, 22. Proverbs 12, 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Have you delighted the Lord this week? Deuteronomy 19, 18. Deuteronomy 19, 18 deals with dishonesty as it regards a false witness. It says, The judges shall inquire diligently. Get this, church. Are you listening? The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness, in other words, if the witness is lying under oath and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. Oh, there's a change of circumstances. Well, you know that 90% of the problems we have in society is because we don't punish criminals. We don't punish criminals. But every time the government says, don't do this, all the good people say, I hope I don't get in trouble. I'm not going to do it. The criminals don't care. By definition, that's what makes them criminals. But in God's eyes, he holds everyone to account. And if you go to court and you lie about your brother to gain an advantage, to hurt him, then not only is he exonerated after the judge does his due diligence to find that you've been dishonest and he's innocent, but the the punishment that was due to your brother, you have to endure now because you lied. I wonder if our court system would be a little different if we held everyone in society to such an account. We must love and we must value honesty over dishonesty because that is the word of the Lord for us. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. To close, let me say this. Our view of God, his word, and his son should determine how we deal with our words and our intentions. God is honest, and as his people, his expectation of us is to reflect his honesty. So there should be at least a few things that you and I should be honest about, and if you will indulge me for a few more minutes, I will share them with you, amen? First, we should be honest about the gospel. We should be honest about the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of what God has done for sinners like you and me in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The good news of what God has done for sinners like you and me in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. You say, well, I've I've told people that and and they've disagreed well that doesn't matter whether they agree or not it's not your business that's between them and God what he has called us to do is to be faithful to the truth of the gospel and we cannot in good conscience as people who love God and love the truth stand idly by while people spread lies about Jesus spread lies about his word Spread lies about what a man is, or or a woman, or marriage, or sexual intimacy, parenthood. These are things that are prized and valued in the Word of God, and our society has prostituted them for their own conveniences. And the church is sitting by so quietly, because we don't want anyone's feelings to get hurt while men dress like women and babies are killed and marriage is given to anybody and everybody whenever, however. There are no sacred standards anymore. Now, we can never make an unbeliever act like a believer because that's contrary to the gospel. But I'm not asking what you can accomplish. I'm asking if you're being honest. Are we being honest about the gospel? So that people know, even if they disagree with us, that where is a heaven and there is a hell. And that the thing that separates that destination for us is not whether we vote this way or that way or live in this house or I drive a certain kind of car or wear these kinds of clothes. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. Whether the Old Testament saints look forward to his coming, or whether the New Testament saints look back at his coming, it's always been Jesus. By faith, you have been saved. That's what it means to be honest about the gospel. And people can disagree with us, and we can be friends with people who disagree with us, but we cannot be friendly with dishonesty. And we must not compromise On this point, the good news of the gospel. Secondly, not only should we be honest with the gospel, but we should be honest about our own thoughts and feelings to others. We should be honest about our own thoughts and feelings to others. Now, this is going to be incredibly more practical than the previous points, but I'm going to say this. It's difficult for us to share our feelings with people for fear of judgment, for fear of criticism, for fear of mockery. Amen? The reality of the matter is we are raised in a society that measures us each and every day, each and every moment, and it makes it hard to be honest. This is why friendships are so few and far between. If you live your entire life with a handful of friends, you are a blessed person. That's what friendship is. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many friends comes to ruin. We have been led to think that comments and likes is friendship. But the reality is friendship is when you call someone or someone calls you at 2 o'clock in the morning when your hands are full or you're sleeping or whatever the case might be and it doesn't bother you. And they say, I need you. Can you come by? And you go, you want me to come now or you need me to come later? That's friendship. Friendship means I can rely on you, I can count on you, and I don't have to ask you. This is an expectation that I have. If you don't have friends like that, I recommend you find some. If you are not a friend like that, I recommend you become one. The reason I share this point with you is because of this. We notice how dishonest we are in public when we find how honest we are with our closest friends. Be honest. And if you have people in your life that you can't be honest with because they don't have the maturity or the faculty to be that kind of friend with you, let me share a little bit of insight. You don't have to be their friend. There is no biblical expectation that says you have to be everybody's best friend. That's a world's philosophy. That is not biblical philosophy. You can love your neighbor as yourself. But when it comes to friendship, that's a different deal. Even in our Lord's circles, we see that there were the 120, there were the 70, there were the 12, and even within the 12, there were the... If our Lord had three, there's nothing wrong with this. Not only do we see it taught, but we see it demonstrated. Listen. I say this to you because I think this is important. If you have orchestrated your relationships in such a way that you can't be honest, it's time for you to call time out and assess your life. Because it is not important that you have many friends. It's important that you're a person of integrity, that you're a person of honesty. Let me take this a step further. If you are a husband or a wife and you cannot be honest in your marriage, you need to start. You need to develop a safe space wherever that might be. It might be my office where you can say what you need to say without judgment, without criticism, without mockery so that you can convey your feelings. Because say amen if you're listening, your feelings are important. I know that we're to be serving our spouse, loving our spouse, dying for our spouse, living for our spouse. All that is important. The assumption, friends, is that while I'm doing that for Dimey, she's doing that for me. The ugly reality of the matter is is it gets a little tiring when one is doing it for one, but the other is not returning that love. And we feel pressed to sit down one day and say, I don't feel like you're, I don't feel like you're being honest in our, in our covenant, in our marriage. I don't feel like you're loving me the way I need to be loved. That's not a conversation we have very often, do we, we nag? We drop hints and reminders. But do we sit down and say, I have to be honest for a minute. Can you receive what I'm feeling? so that we can give our partner, like Adam said, the woman you gave me, everything was fine. It was the woman you gave me. When we sit down with our spouse, can we say, look, this is going to be ugly, and and I love you. I'm going to preface it with I love you, but I'm really unsatisfied right now, and it could be a season. It could be a season in our life, but we're so deathly afraid that we're going to follow up with the D word, or we're going to say, well, maybe we need some time apart, or whatever the case might be, that we just eat it. And we, we come to church after trying to kill each other and saying words that we would never say to our employer, to our spouse, who should be our king or queen. And we get here, we hate each other. If there was a car and it was driving and you were out, I would kick you in the street. <laughs> and we get there and we, and we go, hey, how are you doing? Like, Praise the Lord. So glad to be in the house of the Lord today. And God is going, You liar! You're such a liar! And whose fault is that? I. It's my fault. It's my fault. Diamond and I did this for a long time. We got married young, we were in ministry young, everyone around us was 30 years our senior. We were trying to be perfect. It really screwed us up. Amen? No, don't say amen to that. I was talking to her. We had a long season. We're in a different season now, and for a lot of reasons. One of them is honesty. Everything is better. The talks are better. The food is better. The other stuff is better, because there's honesty there. The reality of the matter is is this is God's design for us, friends. But we can't reap the benefits of God's blessings while we're living in a way he has called us not to live. When we say, God, bless my marriage, and he goes, I I can't. (laughs) Or better yet, I won't, because I won't bless you. There, because I don't want you there. I want you uncomfortable there. I want you to feel blessed in what's right, not in what's wrong. We've got to be honest with each other. We've got to be honest in our relationships. Lastly, we've got to be honest about our position with God. Friends, Paul says in Corinthians, let everyone examine themselves to see whether or not they're in the faith. I've never been a good test taker. But there's one test I know I will pass. I love Jesus. And I know where my faith is. And therefore, I know what my future holds. John says, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. This is my kind of test. This is a great test. This is easy. If you have the Son, you have life. And if you don't, you don't. It's that simple. Friends, I want to ask you, in all honesty, self-reflection, honestly, right now, are you in Christ? That's all that matters, not your spouse or your parents or your grandparents or your kids. You talk to yourself for a minute. Be honest. Am I in Christ? Am I just coming to listen to the sermon? The second I leave, I never think about God again until my husband, wife, or kid says, I want to go to wanna or I want to go to church. And they go, oh, now here we go with God again. Now I'm thinking about God. Or are you in Christ? Not perfect. In Christ. Let's be honest with ourselves. Are we striving for greatness with God? Are we passionate, even when we fail, about doing it right? Can we say today to ourselves and to those who are in our closest circles, I have not borne false witness.